Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, each and every week, guaranteed 100% territory talk here on the show. And of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. And this week, we're going to welcome back Roman Gomez. It's been a little bit, but Roman back on the program. Going to continue on the month of May in 1986 and Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation, covering another two weeks of that UWF TV. But before we kick it all off, just a friendly reminder, guys, that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows, like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 in the WWF Project. Just finished up the January 2nd edition of Saturday Night's Main Event not too long ago, of course, the first ever Royal Rumble upon us here in 1988, and WrestleMania 4 right around the corner. You can also listen to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw versus Nitro as I break down the weekly episodic story known as the Monday Night War, one week at a time. And of course, let us not forget the Wrestling Stoop podcast with the legend himself, Bob Root. Bob continues to share personal memories, stories, not just about himself, but all the other wrestlers, promoters, the referees, everyone he ever came in contact with. It seems like Bob has a story for. And if you haven't listened to the show yet, go back and do yourself a favor. The stories about Terry Funk, Don Fargo, Ron Wright, Hulk Hogan, guys. Like I said, Bob has a story for everyone, so check it out, The Wrestling Stoop. And you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And you can find me on social media, guys. Follow me on X, formerly the Twitter. You can find me there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube, guys. Talk about YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Subscribe today because my YouTube actually plays into the regional wrestling show quite a bit. You see, whenever I cover the UWF shows with Roman, you can actually head over to my YouTube and watch the shows we're covering right there. The main TV broadcast, as well as the B-Show, Power Pro. And I've been upping those in chronological order as we go along here. Plus, coming soon to Regional Wrestling, if you guys haven't heard yet, it's Memphis, 1985. Yes, indeed, we're going to be talking, breaking it down week by week, the Memphis territory back in 1985 with the likes of Gene Jackson, Steve Crawford going to join the show. It's going to be a fun time. And thus, I've also began adding Memphis from 85 over on YouTube as well, once again in chronological order, so you guys can follow along with us. Now, I'm not just talking the TV studio show, but the secondary show that aired out of Jackson, Tennessee, covering many Mid-South Coliseum matches. Yes, indeed, the Coliseum matches airing on TV. And just for the fun of it, I'm even adding the Jerry Lawler show. Yes, the Sunday morning talk show hosted by the king. You can find all of those there on YouTube. So subscribe today. 
youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And of course, guys, now would be a tremendous time to become a WrestleCopia patron. And I'm talking to you guys about that $5 all access tier. And you can find me there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Yes, indeed. The $5 all access tier gets you all sorts of gifts for just five bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Also, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, random bonus video drops, and of course, the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Help show your support. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer, and every penny of it goes right back here into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you have a few bucks to spare, looking to support that next up-and-coming podcast brand, I could really use some new hardware as we continue to build the brand here, guys. So please consider making your next Patreon subscription, WrestleCopia, as we try to bring you guys the most quality product, providing information as well as entertainment. So if you can, help me pay some of these bills to keep the WrestleCopia podcast network up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, guys, and with all of that out of the way, you know what time it is. It's time to jump in that DeLorean and head back to the year of 1986. And Bill Watts's UWF. guys get ready it's time to bring him back you may know him as the former co-host of the mid-atlantic championship podcast now part of the wrestlecopia podcast network and i gotta tell you i'm absolutely delighted to have him here such a great guy such a wrestling aside podcast aside just a tremendous human being a hard worker i'm talking about roman gomez roman it's been a bit i know it's been crazy out there in vegas you've been working around the clock but it's great to have you away one more time for a little more UWF here in 1986. It's good to have you back. Well, thank you. Yes, it has been crazy. I'm glad to be able to do this. Work has been insane, and the Formula One race has freaking ruined our city, you know, but I'm <laughs> glad that's gone, and, and yeah, it's time to talk some old-school wrestling. All right, guys, we're not going to prolong things this week. Away we go as we get ready to tackle another two weeks of May 1986 in the Universal Wrestling Federation, and this week we kick things off with UWF-TV for May the 10th, taped back April 27th at the Tulsa Convention Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's Jim Ross and the president of the UWF, Cowboy Bill Watts, on commentary here. We also learned that Ken Mantell is now named the vice president 
of business affairs. I always love that realism here in the Mid-South. Got to even get Ken Mantell over. Yeah, and, you know, Ken Mantell had a major influence on what happened in the UWF with a lot of the talent he helped bring in from world class. Certainly did. So Vice President of Business Affairs, a.k.a. the Booker here uh, at this point in time. We see last week. Fancy title. Fancy title, indeed. Last week on the UWF, it was Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner hanging Chavo Guerrero over the top rope with that logger chain as we get a hard sell once again this week. Also for the UWF Trivia Contest, clue number two coming your way today. So stay tuned, guys. We also learned at the top of the show that Dark Journey will return next week here in the UWF. So lots going on as we kick off this episode this week as we head to the ring. Singles action going to see Blade Runner Rock, the ultimate warrior, if you will, uh, accompanied to the ring by manager Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and tag team partner Sting. Warrior going to be taking on Tracy Smothers here. Well, there's a match you never thought happened. Bell sounds and the warrior rushing Tracy, mauling him down to the mat. Clothesline, big boot, elevated choke, and a backdrop. Hey, who says warrior can't wrestle, Roman? And what is this? Blade Runner Rock with a body slam and a leg drop. Take that, brother. Uh, Smothers, though, God bless him, Roman, tries a comeback. Fists of fire. Tracy shooting the warrior into the corner. But the Rock comes bouncing out with a stiff clothesline and then a gorilla press slam, followed by a gorilla press slam. Two in a row. Okay, maybe he's out of moves. The Warrior going to pick up the win two minutes and 47 seconds. This match was dominated by the Warrior, and surprisingly, it was better than I thought it would be, you know, considering the inexperience. I mean, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't Flair Steamboat or anything, but I was expecting worse, put it that way, and this was a little bit better than what I thought it would be. Well, I'll say this much. He's doubled up his moveset compared to Korchenko at this point. Yeah, yeah, he looks like Jack Briscoe compared to Korchenko. <laughs> oh my God, I don't know if I would go that far, but I love to comment anyway. <laughs> uh, up next on the show, it's a special presentation with the Fantastics in the ring. They're standing there with Jim Ross and a multitude of their adolescent fans. Uh, lots of kiddos in the ring here for the Fantastics as they give up their old Mid-South Tag Team titles and handed the brand new shiny UWF Tag Team title belts looking good. And I always liked when they would present a new belt. You know, I remember when Flair got the, the new belts and the NWA and everything. It was just always like a special thing as a fan. Like you knew there was kind of like a, like a changing of the guard, so to speak. And to see new belts presented on TV, I, I always thought that was a cool thing. Yeah, it was always interesting how a Crockett or Watts would make a big deal out of changing the belts. But Vince kind of just seamlessly transitioned through the belts without ever making a big stink about it on, on their programming in the WWF. But you got to love these new UWF tag team titles. Uh, they look great. And uh, obviously they had to do that with the name change. They, they didn't have the tag titles ready as quickly as they had the heavyweight title belt ready. But away we go now. The Fantastics solidifying themselves as the tag team champions. Now you have to wonder, why do they get to keep the tag team titles? But the North American title is retired and we have to crown a brand new champion. I guess we'll talk about that later down the road. But just something, food for thought, guys. Me and Roman will revisit that at a later date. Uh, but right now, we continue on with a Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert promo. Hot Stuff discussing his charge, the evil Russian, Korsita Korchenko, who is coming for revenge on Hacksaw Duggan, for Duggan formerly burning a Russian flag way back when. So Korchenko now, all of a sudden, angry at Duggan for burning a flag way back in the Darso days. They say that they will bury Americans with the Russian flag to show their dominance. Yes, and that'll su- come into play uh, superiority. in the weeks to come. That's right. Yes, indeed it will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're reading my notes here. I mean, you're not reading my notes, but we always seem to take similar notes, so that's very cool here. Saves me the time. Uh, Eddie then referencing the Crockett Cup 
talking about Korchenko aiding the Koloffs and laying out Dr. Death Steve Williams, keeping that also fresh in our minds. So they're planting a seed, Korchenko feuding with Duggan a little bit, but also Dr. Death on the back burner here as well. Yeah, and it seems like all the Russians seem to get along with each other. Have you ever noticed that in any federation? You know, if you're a Russian, you you got to be buddies with the other Russians. <laughs> you know, I just recently did a Memphis 85 show with Steve Crawford, super fan, historian of the Memphis territory. And uh, Korchenko came through in October of 84 for about a month. And he referred to Korchenko as the most uh, bottom shelf dime store Russian gimmick in all of wrestling history. So I just, that sums it up. It's across the board, no matter what show, you know, whoever I'm doing a, a show with, we all seem to agree. And God bless him. He seems like a great guy out there on Facebook, Korchenko. But I mean, just going back here in time and watching him, it's just not working for me. Yeah, you know, and, I, and I'm a guy that sat through sold out Houstonoff in the AWA. So, oh, man. yeah, there's, there's been a few Russians that uh, made, made you cringe a little bit. <laughs> so we hear from Eddie Gilbert, and we head back to Bill Watts and Jim Ross on commentary. They talk about that three-on-one attack with Korchenko and the Russians, or excuse me, the Kolovs, Ivan and Nikita, taking down Dr. Death at the Crockett Cup. Watts says it made the Cowboys' blood boil, and Watts hoping that Dr. Death will get his revenge. A little foreshadowing there, guys. Stay tuned. It's up next. Hey, Roman, it's localized promos. Jim Ross hyping upcoming events in the area. During it, he announces some of the stars, the dates, the times, and the arenas. Imagine that, Buck Robley. Localized promos here for May 18th, Lakefront Arena. We got a barbed wire tag team matchup coming. Sheepherders taking on the Fantastics. We're going to hear from both sides. We're also going to hear from the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. His opponent that night, Coco Beware. <laughs> You know, it kind of looks like right now, people, that the Fantastics are a couple of jigsaw puzzles with a couple of pieces gone. But let me say something right now. The Superdome was a start. A start of a rivalry between the sheep herders and the United States of America. And Tommy and, our, and me, we have chose to be the people's army, brother. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Sheep herders, title on the line, brother. You know what we're capable of doing. We know what you're capable of doing. We also know that Jack Victory stands ringside, but we've got the people on our side. We'll see you in a squared circle. You understand me, slimy, limey? And in this match, barbed wire will surround the ring for the UWF Tag Team Championship. Don't forget, Cowboy Bill Watts, and I, it's really hard to say, but he's going to be there at ringside when Dr. Death goes against the big Russian. Korchenko, hot step Eddie Gilbert will be at ringside in the big Russian's corner. Plus, ladies and gentlemen, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer will defend the UWF television title. He'll be going against uh, Coco Beware on Sunday, the 18th of May, 3 o'clock. It's WYLD Day. With your wild card at the lakefront, you can save $2 on an adult general mission ticket. And now let's hear this from the Mad Dog. Coco Ware, I've already told you one time, I am your master! I'm your master, boy! And you get out here yelling and screaming and doing all your job, telling your people what you're going to do. Well, you better just come out, get all the flap out of your mouth, and get ready for the daggonest fight you ever had. Because you see, when this is on the line, I'm double tough. When this is on the line, and a man walking can beat me. Come on, Birdman, take me. 
All right, there it is. So barbed wire tag team matches coming around the horn. Sheep herders and fantastics. Oh, that's that's one that would have been so much fun to go to in person because uh, when I was growing up, you know, going to the matches, there were, there were not a lot of gimmicks, you know, in, in person at least. And uh, to see a barbed wire match would have been something special. It wasn't something you got in a lot of territories uh, by this point. No, no doubt. And, you know, and, it, and it's kind of cool in a way that it also shows that the Fantastics were not just pretty boys, you Absolutely. know, that they could really mix it was It was kind of like that you know? Tommy think, Dreamer revolution, right? Everybody hated Tommy Dreamer in the ECW because his gimmick was he wore the suspenders. He was in good shape at the time. He was a pretty boy until he had that feud with the salmon. He took the cane lashes and everybody realized he was he was hardcore. And then Tommy got over with the fans. And I'm not saying the Fantastics aren't over already here in the UWF, but it's another dimension. I get what you're saying. And something that helped in, in Dreamer's case get him over was that Cactus, I still remember that promo where he goes, he ain't no pretty boy, he's a man. And I oh. just remember that, that line when you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a few years down the road, and I, I get that the analogy isn't exactly the same because Dreamer really wasn't getting over at the time. Fantastics are far beyond over here, but maybe these matches with the sheep herders will get them more over with the male fans anyway. Right, because there was definitely a female following. Following, all you had to do was just watch the matches. You can hear the girls going crazy, and you know they would all run to ringside and fight over each other to you know be the first one to hug Bobby and Tommy. So, yeah, that was definitely a way, like you said, a good idea to get the male fans over. You know, much like the Rock and Roll Express, they had their female followers, but a lot of the guys liked them because they were could go up against the Russians or could go in a cage. You know, so yeah, it's it's good to get everybody to like you if you're a fan favorite. And I don't know if you guys caught that out there, uh, Jim Ross chilling that Lakefront show, but also on the card, it's Korchenko going up against Dr. Death. Of course, Eddie Gilbert in the corner of the Russian. But did you hear that Dr. Death, he has a corner man as well. Cowboy Bill Watts, which is very unusual at this point. Bill Watts hasn't really been making them outside of screwing Dick Slater around. Bill Watts hasn't really been engaging with the competition, so to speak. And now he's announced as being the corner man for Dr. Death to take on Korchenko there at the Lakefront Arena. You know, it's not, we're not really breaking any news here, but you can kind of connect the dots and see right. Bill Watts might get a little more involved. Certainly has me excited. Uh, as the weeks progress. Yeah. It has, has me excited. As we head back to the ring for one half of the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton. That's a head scratcher. One, well, we'll see what happens here. Bobby Fulton taking on Gustavo Mendoza and referee Tommy Gilbert in the ring. The bell sounds as Fulton takes Mendoza to the mat, working a headlock. Gustavo tries for a comeback, but Bobby shaking his ass in the face of Gustavo and strutting across that ring. A trifecta of dropkicks by Fulton sees Mendoza groggy and Bobby going to capitalize with a running body block, getting the three count in just one minute and 45 seconds. I wrote, wow, that was quicker than I expected. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen enough wrestling where, you know, when a tag team-specific wrestlers in singles competition, you're kind of like, hmm, something's up here, you know? Yeah, something was but, amiss. Uh, Why? What's going on here? Right. And Fulton looked great, you know, uh, quickness hit the cross body block. And, you know, it just got me thinking after watching this match, had there been no Tommy Rogers, had they not been paired, Bobby Fulton would have been a good juniors heavyweight champion, you know, like he was in Southwest championship wrestling. Like he had a lot of skills where he could have done good in the junior heavyweight championship uh, category. Yeah. You know, I always, you know, I was the bigger fan of Tommy Rogers and not that I, you know, dislike Bobby Fulton, but Tommy Rogers was my favorite of the team, if you will, growing up. Right. But going back and watching some of the stuff that Bobby was doing here earlier in the the year of 86 in the ring, I am just blown away. Like it's a whole new level that I'd never even paid attention to before. 
So I, I'm really, you know, pumped for, for this uh, Bobby Fulton ro- role here. As a singles this week, I'm thinking, okay, time, as we head into this matchup, I was thinking, okay, time filler. This is going to go six minutes. Just something to, you know, throw on the show. Maybe they, you know, they just needed the, the time to fill on the show. But nope, it all makes sense afterwards as Fulton begins to celebrate. Butch Miller of the Sheep Herders appearing ringside, calling Fulton out. Bobby, no coward, rushes back in the ring, and away we go. It's Butch Miller and Bobby Fulton going to go at it. But as you guys likely expected, it was all a trap, Roman, as Luke Williams attacking Fulton from behind, and these Sheep Herders double-teaming, taking down Bobby, drilling him repeatedly with a flagpole. Fulton busted wide open as Tommy Rogers finally rushing out in his jeans, street clothes. I guess he was already changing for the night. Rogers out to make the save. So if you couldn't tell, the match, just a really a backstory, a reason to get Fulton out there for the angle, which is another cog in the containing blood feud saga between the Fantastics and the Sheepers. Yeah, there may be people out there that are wondering, like, well, why wasn't Rogers at ringside while his tag team partner was in singles competition? But, you know, when, when you figure that Fulton is going against somebody in Mendoza's caliber, that makes sense. Now, had it been Fulton against Gordy, that would have been different. And you would have been like, okay, Tommy needs to be there at ringside. So it made perfect sense for Tommy not to be there, which allowed the Sheepherders to go in and do their damage. Right, and that, that's another piece of the booking there. You got to book Bobby Fulton against somebody that you know he se- he would easily have control of, i.e., here Gustavo Mendoza, Rogers. You know, taking the night off, so to speak, at this point, he's hit the showers, he's changing for the night. They're getting ready to go out and see those pretty ladies. You know, Tommy has to come out and make the save instead. Somebody maybe got word to him, "Hey, Tommy, Bobby's you know in a bad way out there." And Tommy, you got to imagine Tommy comes rushing to the ring, makes a save for his partner, but the damage is done. Bobby Fulton bleeding, and my favorite part of this whole thing is that we don't get one angle and then they're just going to try to live off that for three months, right, Roman? We're getting these angles every few weeks here so that the the uh, feud continues on. It continues to boil to a whole new level. I was going to say, it intensifies the feud, you know, right. when it happens more than once. It wasn't a fluke thing. Now it's like, man, this was premeditated. They really wanted to go, go out and attack the Fantastics. Yeah, they're very upset. They want their tag team titles back. I get it, and I, I believe it at this point. So really good booking. Ken Mantell, man, you know, for all this flack he gets from certain people, and I really don't remember any of them off the top of my head, but I hear it often that it was Gary Hart who set up the you know success of World Class because Gary Hart booked that Christmas night show with the cage door and the Freebirds turning heel on Kerry Von Erich. He set the stage for what was to come. Everybody said, well, Kim Mantell just kind of coasted off that. But no, Kim Mantell, he brought in Chris Adams and Iceman Parsons and continued that story of the Von Erickson Freebirds for really two years, seemingly. And, and I just named just a couple of the talents that came through there. Gino Hernandez will eventually be there. So Kim Mantell did a lot. And if people are going to tell me that this is not, you know, some really good booking since he took over the Terry Taylor spot, you know, I, I don't buy it. I, I think Kim Mantell was a good booker. You know, and even if he didn't book, just the fact him being on the payroll, you know, the connections he had. I mean, oh my God, it's like JJ when it. he moved over from Crockett to Vince. I mean, he already he could bring anybody he wanted to essentially. Right. Yeah. With Mantel, you know, you started getting the missing link and the Adams and the Freebirds, and you can go on and on. The Kamala, the world class guys that came in. Even if he didn't book, just the fact he brought in extra talent, you know, was was incredible because it what it's what helped make 86 an amazing year and this is why we're doing it because 86 was an awesome year to talk about absolutely as we go on one of the people or one of the teams you just mentioned the fabulous freebirds we get a bad street music video in its entirety 
Always awesome to see the Bad Street video in its entirety. We used to get clips of it a lot on the, on the territory, old territory shows, but not very often did we get the full video. And th- th- so it was cool to see it here this week on UWF-TV. Uh, and then they sneak in clue number two after the video this week by flashing it across the screen, Roman. Hope you caught that. At the end of the Bad Street video, getting a little sneaky here, are we guys? Clue two, his first wrestling identity found him on the wrong side of the law. Okay, that one that one confused me a little bit. The first one I, I got right away. However, this one, uh, not so much. I'm still kind of scratching my head here, so maybe one of the listeners could fill me in on what that exactly means. Now, I kind of get the law part, but his first wrestling identity. So you have to think maybe character or whatever they're, they're trying to word here. Right. I don't, really, I don't really get the question, the clue this week. Well, well, something I wanted to talk about quickly in the video, which I thought was funny. Oh, sure, we can go is that there is a there's there's a guy that gets up in Gordy's face and Gordy shoves him to the ground. Oh, from and Dallas. they didn't show it on this Yes, they didn't show it on this video, but when it actually happened, the guy got back up immediately and gave Gordy a thumbs up, like, Atta boy. And I'm just, well, it was and, freaking and it was cowboy, so man, funny. in Texas. <laughs> yeah, because I mean you think now if a wrestler shoved you, you know there'd probably be a lawsuit. Oh, oh we God, gotta yeah. get him off TV. He's a troublemaker. Gordy shoves the dude and you know, he probably had a couple drinks in him, you know, but he popped right back back up and gave him a thumbs up, like, Good job, Gordy. That's <laughs> really a normal night in that guy at the bar, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I so if if you fans could look that up and see the whole thing, it was comical to me. I, I still remember it to this day. That's a very infamous or famous spot in wrestling history. Really, they would show that quite often back in the time. There was a there was a fan. This was down in World Class that got in Gordy's face, and Gordy was not screwing around that night. And he grabbed that fan, and I mean, he shoved him. It was like he shoved him through a couple of pair of double doors if they were behind him. That guy goes down hard, and you're right, he does get right yeah. back up. And I guess his defense mechanism, instead of fighting him or running or saying, oh, I got to do was, hey, you're cool. You're cool. Please don't, you know, please don't kill me. (laughs) But what was cool about world class was that they didn't have the barricades, you know, that that you see now. They just had a little rope and the fans knew to stay on the other side of the rope, which is unheard of. It was almost like an imaginary line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a, like a, like a line was drawn in the sand. Don't cross this line. And you never saw a fan on TV go under the rope and try to attack a heel or anything like. It was just like that's their security thing was a little tiny rope. Well, there's probably it was mind boggling. Probably a couple of guys sitting somewhere with a Colt forty five or something. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll you will go on for now on this episode of UWF TV. More localized promos coming up, guys. May the eighteenth, Lakefront Arena. Kamala slated to take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. In a moment, we're going to hear from Kamala's manager, Skandor Akbar. We're also going to hear from the opponent, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And we already heard from the Mad Dog earlier. This time, it's Coco Beware talking about his side of things taking on. Buzz Sawyer. Ladies and gentlemen, on Sunday, May the 18th, this barbed wire will surround the ring when the Fantastics go against the Sheep Herders for the UWF Tag Team titles. Plus, you're going to see Hacksaw Jim Duggan renew one of the biggest feuds in wrestling when he goes against 400-pound Kamala. Kamala is managed by this man, Skandar Akbar. Time to pay your dues, Duggan. And you know what I'm talking about, young man. You knew eventually that I'd be back, Duggan. And I'm going to take it out of your hide because I've got Kamala, the new eighth wonder of the world. And guess what, Duggan? He's going to beat you so bad, you're going to crawl to my feet. And then you're going to look up and you're going to call me Master Duggan because I don't forget. Remember, Duggan, the general back 
and that spells trouble for you. You know, when I come out here and I have to talk about the Ugandan giant, I have to talk about Kamala. Oh, Axel, I'm a fun-loving guy. But when I have to come out here and I got to talk about that man, well, I kind of put fun in the back seat because Kamala, he's a big man, he's a rough man, he's a tough man. But he was also instrumental in hurting me, almost blinding me, him and Skandar Akbar. So Kamala, you're back here, you're back in the UWF. Well, baby, you're going to find yourself in big trouble. Tough guy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Cowboy Bill Watts coming back out of retirement on this situation to be in Dr. Death's corner when Dr. Death goes against the big Russian, Korsita Korchenko. This barbed wire, barbed wire just like this, will be surrounding the ring when the Fantastics go against the Sheep Herders and the UWF Tag Team titles will be on the line. Barbed wire will be surrounding the ring. Plus, you're going to see Coco Beware in the match of his life when he goes against Mad Dog Sorry for the UWF television title. Terry Taylor takes on Jack Victory Sunday, the 18th of May. And Ted DiBiase goes against Blade Runner Rock. You can save $2 off an adult general mission ticket with your wild card at the Lakefront box office. And now, hear this. You see, the Birdman is moving on up in the UWF because, you see, we all spread it. We're going all over the world. And see, I want to tell you one thing, Buzz saw you. You can't fool the Birdman. You see, I was born at night, but not last night. Because I'm going to tell you one thing, Buzz saw you. If you knock me down, if you kick me all around, just remember, I'm a fighter, baby. I'm not going to stop, baby, until I, until I get even with you. I'm not going to get mad. I'm just going to get even because I want that title around my waist. All right, so more fun promos there. Akbar back in the territory, bringing Kamala. It's almost like they're moving past Korchenko now. It's like Korchenko is slowly being ushered over to the Dr. Death and, and et cetera feud. And now it's kind of like Kamala replacing Korchenko on some of the house shows, taking on Hacksaw Duggan. And that's definitely an upgrade. And uh, oh, yeah. something, Ray, Ray, if we can backtrack something, I wanted to mention about Jim Ross when he was talking about the Fantastic Sheepherders match. Yeah is that he actually had barbed wire in his hand. Yes, yeah, he was he showing off the barbed tap- wire. Yeah, and he keeps tapping it into his hand, which to me kind of killed the gimmick, because if you're trying to talk about a barbed wire match, how dangerous it is, the announcer shouldn't be banging it into his hand unless he's drawing blood. Yeah, I, lo- I like the visual effect like- that they were going for there. They're trying to show, like when you would see the promo with the cage, and even down in Puerto Rico, they used to have this little uh, four-by-four uh, gimmick where they had a bunch of barbed wire strung across. They would hold it up when they were talking about a Carlos Colon, you know, barbed wire match. But I get what you're saying there. Just a single strand of barbed wire in the hands of JR, and he, he's not really selling it. But he, but, he, but I get exactly. it, was, it was It was supposed to be for the visual effect, but I get what you're saying too. Right. I, I think they could have had the barbed wire as a visual and then maybe have like a newspaper or a paper and just like, look how sharp this is and, you know, and cut the paper. But when he's banging it against his hand, I was thinking like, aren't you kind of like no selling the gimmick? I never thought about it that way when, you know, when I was doing my notes and stuff, but good call there. I, I wasn't really paying attention to what JR was doing with it. I just kind of noted that he, he held it up and was showing it off. Thank you for uh, covering that. So uh, we're going to go on tag team action. Fabulous Freebirds. It's Gordy and Roberts, per the usual. They're going to be taking on Brett Wayne Sawyer, Dave Peterson. And as I look here, look at the names here, Roman. Sadly, all four of these men now gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about stuff like that all the time when we see a flashback match or something like yeah, it's crazy. All four, all four of them are, are now no longer with us. And this is only 1986. So, you know, uh, Brett Wayne, Dave Peterson, both, you know, passed away early. Terry Gordy died very young. So three of these guys, you know, right. Buddy Roberts was a little more up there in age than the rest of these guys. But, yeah, it's just sad to, to look at this and know that all four of these guys no longer with us. And uh, conspicuous by his absence in this matchup is one Michael Purely Sexy Hayes 
Is Peterson going to surprise Terry Gordy with a tackle that sends Terry down? Talk about a surprise here. The Birds, though, take over immediately thereafter. Buddy Roberts with a nice backbreaker and Gordy throwing not one, but two big 300-pound dropkicks, man. Gordy could go. Oh, Gordy was a great worker. He wasn't just a big man. He could move around the ring. And yeah, he was, without a doubt, one of the best big men in the history of the business. And it's no wonder Watts does what he does with Gordy in the upcoming weeks. Oh, yeah. there was. I had no problem with him being the heavyweight champ. I thought he was a great choice. Yeah, and, and the, the, the best thing about Gordy, I would get mad at him sometimes as an adult going back and watching his matches. He was bumping too much sometimes. Oh, don't do that. Take those flips upside down in the corner for a guy half your size. But Gordy wasn't afraid to take those crazy bumps and just make the match, you know, a little look even a little better. You think about it, Gordy been wrestling for a billion years and he was still a young man. You know, he started, depending on who you listen to, I've heard 16, 14, I've heard 14, 15, you know, yeah, I believe yeah it was 14, 14 in, uh, in the in IWA. The, I yes, think it was a match of him against Ernie Ladd when yeah. he wrestled under the name Terry Mecca. Yeah, that's right. It's out there. It's available. You guys go check yeah, that out. Yeah. Very, yeah, and you can't tell but, he's 14. I mean, the, he's already got the height and the size. And I think that's how he got into the match. So it, it's crazy to think around this time, I believe, Michael Hayes was saying something like, oh, he's 26 years old, 20, 20, whatever, 26, 27. I mean, for a guy to be so young and have so much experience, that's just mind-boggling, but that's how things were done. That You know, Bobby Eaton, same thing, you know, at an early age. So yeah. Gordy was a seasoned vet, but still had his prime was still ahead of him. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, but here at Tag Team Action, Freebird's dominating this one. And on commentary, Bill Watts putting Gordy over as the best big athlete today, but he calls Michael Hayes the Charles Manson of the group, and I'd go along with that. Dave Peterson finally able to make a hot tag out to Brett Wayne Sawyer, who comes in and has Buddy Roberts bumping for a moment. But the Birds cut Sawyer off and deliver the Bam Bam Slam off the middle rope, that assisted power slam off the ropes by Gordy, onto Brett Wayne Sawyer, gets the Birds the win. Two minutes and 57 seconds. It seems like the writing on the wall for Brett Wayne Sawyer here, it seems like Peterson would have probably took that loss, uh, in my estimation, if they knew what was coming up here in the next couple weeks. But Brett Wayne doing the job. A little surprised he was the one doing the job here, but a great match for TV. Oh, the Freebirds looked really impressive. And I thought it was good, too, that it was against Wayne and Peterson, you know, who weren't superstars, but the fans had seen him get a little success on TV and at the arena, you know, occasionally they'd get a win. So it wasn't too schmucks that you knew had no chance. You know, these were fairly competitive enhancement talent workers that they, that they beat and they beat them in very convincing fashion. Yeah. And I want to go back just one minute to Terry Gordy too, because I was thinking about, you were talking about how old he was here in 1986. I was thinking, you know, I was doing, been doing Georgia with uh, Jamie Ward in 81 and what blew my mind what, and it's true. I mean, when, when you do the math, but you don't really do the math. Uh, but until Michael Hayes gets on there and cuts a promo and says, you know, Gordy early in the year prior to his birthday, which I, I think is in April, he says, you know, we're so young. Terry Gordy, 19 years old. Terry Gordy was 19 years old when the Freebirds had already drawn the Superdome and were lighting the Omni on fire. Think about that. Oh, it, it's insane. And there was nothing you know, due to his size, but the way he moved, there was nothing that made you think, oh, this young man could be, like, he just seemed established from the get-go. Yeah, he could have been more than, I guess, 24 here in 86. So he just celebrated a birthday not too long ago, I think, at this point. So, yeah, Terry Gordy's, <laughs> you think about it, he shouldn't even be in his prime yet. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but uh, next up, guys, it's Coco Beware, teaming with Hacksaw Jim Duggan 
taking on the team of Korchenko and Eddie... G no. Eddie Gilbert taking the house mic here, announcing that his doctor says he has a fractured hip bone, so Hot Stuff cannot compete tonight. I thought he was retired anyway, but Coco's in the match, so that rules out, I guess. Every time he comes out of retirement, it seems like it's against Coco. But uh, standing in Hot Stuff's place tonight, creating the greatest tag team of all time, Roman, it's Korchenko and Blade Runner Sting. What a team. Yeah, not not a real likely team, one that you would uh, <laughs> picture as a, as a dream tag team by any stretch, especially considering how early it was in Sting's career. Yeah, it's it feels like the lethal lottery of tag teams there. Korchenko and Sting <laughs> taking on Coco Beware and Jim Duggan. And in Korchenko and Sting's corner, it's Eddie Gilbert and Blade Runner Rock. So lots of heels around ringside. What a great announcement. I'm still laughing over the lethal lottery, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the, the Liger Bill Kazmaier tag team. Oh, I loved that team when I was a kid. Was. I loved that team. It didn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> but I loved it. I, I just love that dynamic of the big, strong uh, world's strongest man, along with the greatest uh, cruiserweight of all, junior heavyweight of all time, up until that point. <laughs> so we go on here, tag team action. Carl Fergie, the referee for this one, they announce a 10-minute time limit. So I actually feel good about this. Getting a finish here, maybe. Competitive tag team match, you never know this late in the show. But it's USA versus Russia to start things off. Duggan versus Korchenko. As Watts points out that Eddie Gilbert and the Warrior out here ringside, he thinks Hot Stuff has something cooking here, Roman. Something stinks. Anywho, we go on. Hacksaw surprising Korchenko right out of the gate with a running cross body and starts drilling him with big right hands. Ho! And Stinger in next. And I wrote, wow, Sting versus Hacksaw in his prime. Uh, just cool to look at across the ring from each other here. Is Sting going to lay into Duggan, but Hacksaw plowing him over with a big clothesline? And then it's Coco's turn in the ring, taking on the Stinger. And Sting has issues taking a power slam from the Birdman. That's all right, you'll learn, Stinger. Uh, Skandor Akbar, then are going to appear ringside this week. Uh, we've seen this before, as the numbers are really getting pretty bad out here for the baby faces. Looks like five heels ringside altogether, counting the two in the ring. Uh, two baby faces, so we'll see what happens. As Bill Watts just burying the country of Russia on commentary all throughout this matchup, that Russia, they always want things their way, Roman. They want to outnumber everyone. They're like Afghanistan. Yeesh. Watts was never shy with the political he commentary, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll talk. I think I don't think we're going to touch on it this week, but we'll touch on it soon. Some of the things that, that comes out of his mouth, it's going to get him in trouble with some of the local affiliates, as you might can imagine. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, he, always, he would always find a way to incorporate it. Even when a Russian wasn't in the match, he would find a way to talk about Russia. Like, Watts was, uh, <laughs> it was interesting to hear his political viewpoint sometimes. It, it was indeed. In fact, well, we'll get to it when we get there. It's coming. Uh, the heels, though, they finally take over on Duggan, but Hacksaw leapfrogging over Sting. An attempted backdrop there, and Duggan on the rebound, nailing Sting with the spear. Big spear, boom, and down goes the Stinger. But the green Sting gets up before Duggan from Hacksaw's finisher. In fact, if you go back and watch this, guys, you can literally see Duggan try and grab Sting by the arm and tell him to stay down, sell the move. But both guys back up, and the Birdman going to be tagged back in. Nice dropkick from Coco, sends Sting down for a two-count before the heels take over on the Birdman. Coco, though, able to slip between Korchenko's leg, a little Ricky Morton roll, and it's a hot tag out back to Hacksaw and Duggan in, turning it into a four-way melee right away. Wait, make that a five-way melee, Roman, because it's Blade Runner Rock, the warrior, rushing in to attack the Birdman from behind, causing 
The disqualification, four minutes and 55 seconds. You know, one, one thing when watching this match, I was, I was thinking to myself, like, it was fun to actually see Duggan work. Yes. You know, he wasn't a gimmicky guy. And, and you would mention he did a leapfrog. Did, did he ever do a leapfrog in no, the that, WWF? That's, I don't that's remember why him it's doing in my one. notes. It's why it's in my notes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Not. Yeah. It was in my notes as well. Like, wow, he did a leapfrog. You know, <laughs> like it's, he, he was different back then because Watts demanded it. You know, Watts was one of those guys that he, he wanted a, a good effort from everybody. You know, he didn't want anybody coasting. Yep. So it didn't care how big of a name, how popular, like you needed to go out there and put on a good show. Yeah, you know, I'd always wondered, for years I'd wondered, how do we go from the spear to the running, well, later in his career, slow motion clothesline, but the running clothesline in the WWF. And I, and as I've been covering the 87 WWF, I noticed Duggan was leaving his feet. He was hitting a good-looking lariat-type clothesline on those finishers. So even though we moved away from the spear, it was still he was still sailing in the air, connected, it looked great. But in, as you know, by somewhere in 88, He's not going to leave his feet anymore. It's just going to be a running clothesline. Boom, down goes the, the guy, and he, get, he gets the win. And I just found out this week, uh, I, I was reading something, uh, an interview Duggan did, and he said that was Hulk Hogan's idea. Duggan had already gotten a couple of knee scopes, and he was tearing out his knees, and I guess Hogan came to him and said, brother, why do you need to leave your feet to do the clothesline? Just leave it to Hogan to say that. <laughs> but uh, let's, yeah. uh, you know, why don't you just you know, hit him with the clothesline? And that's what Duggan did from there on. So we have Hogan to blame for a little bit of Hacksaw kind of toning it down anyway. You know, and it's ironic you mentioned Hogan because the thought that came to my mind is that Hogan's had hip replacement and this and that, and he, he blames it on the use of the leg drop. Absolutely. You know? I, mean, I can well, see that. And he was even saying, I was supposed to be one of the strongest guys in the world. Why wasn't I beating people with a backbreaker or, or a bear hug or something? Why was I jumping in the air and landing on my hip night after night? Well, I get it. It's the spectacle. You know, obviously the leg drop does a little more than the comeback. Uh, boom, 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 big boot, body slam, and a bear hug. You know, <laughs> the leg. Now, I always, you know, I never really bought into the leg drop growing up. I was never a, a Hulk, Hulkamaniac as a kid. I was uh, pretty much rooting for everybody else. But yeah, I, I get, I, you know, even when that first came out like 20 years ago or whatever, that, you know, his hips started going and it was bothering him. And actually, maybe even in the late 90s when it came out, it, he had blamed the leg drop. And as a naive late teen, I was like, how did that hurt? You know, but. Because it was Hogan, he didn't do anything but the leg drop as far as taking bumps like that. But that accumulates over time. That's a lot of leg drops when you think about it. 300-pound yeah, leg drops. And, and I, I guess we can ignore the fact, or he wants you to ignore the fact that years of steroid abuse might have had something to do with his Maybe, uh, hip, brother. hip uh, going out, too. Perhaps, brother. All those vitamins, dude. <laughs> but uh, anyways, we'll get back here to 86 UWF. I apologize, guys. The heels uh, afterwards, we get a three-on-two beat down here. They're going to send Coco Beware out to the floor. And then it's the Blade Runners and Korchenko triple-teaming Hacksaw Duggan and a pair of awful-looking Russian sickles. The clothesline's taking Duggan down here before Korchenko begins to bury Hacksaw in the Russian flag. But here he comes, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, out to make the save. Doc taking on both of the Blade Runners as Korchenko smashing Duggan over the head with that red shovel, sending Duggan now out to the floor alongside the Birdman. And it's a triple team on Dr. Death now as the heels hold Williams in place for Skandor Akbar, who enters the ring. Akbar looks like he's going to fireball Steve Williams right in the face. Dear God, no. Uh, the heels all holding Doc as Akbar prepares the fireball, going to flame it right into the face of Dr. Death but a bloody Hacksaw Duggan rushing back in with a chair. Akbar trying to throw a fireball at Duggan instead, 
but Duggan going to block it with said chair, and the heels go running as Duggan clocking Sting over the head with that chair. Stinger not out of the ring in time, and Duggan just lays it in there on the Stinger as Hacksaw uh, makes the save here for Dr. Death. And it wasn't the greatest execution of a fireball spot, Roman, by any means, but I love the layout of the angle there. Duggan coming in to block the fireball with a chair. Yeah, it was very smart. Like you said, it wasn't the smoothest uh, use of a fireball we've ever seen, but the, the chair coming into play was showed Duggan was a, a little a thinking man for, for the moment, you know, to put the chair up and block the fireball. And if that wasn't enough, we've seen so much here this week on TV. We've still got another match in the bag here for you guys, and that's Terry Taylor taking on Jack Victory with Lady Maxine in his corner. And boy, imagine that. Taylor going from the booker and the number one contender of the North American title to no longer the booker, and now it's sort of the third wheel in a Sheep Herders Fantastics feud. Yeah, and, and Taylor helping get Victory over a month ago, you know, with Lady Maxine interfering. And the, yeah, it's like, a, a, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That was uh, literally floating through my mind, but I didn't say it, so I'm glad you said it for me. Oh, how the mighty have fallen here. <laughs> Remember, it was Jack Victory, as you just pointed out. He pinned Terry Taylor on TV not that long ago, thanks to the help of one Lady Maxine. So Terry looking for a little revenge here tonight on TV. Is Terry going to light Victory up early on before Jack locks Terry in a grounded head scissors? And as the fight gets back to a vertical base, Taylor comes fighting back, sunset flip for a near fall, and we're out of time. As the cowboy tells us, you gotta be here, Roman, to see these main events. As he says, we need an alternative to that New York stuff. Three minutes shown of this matchup, so not a lot, by the way, of action here to close out the show, but I love the sell job. I don't really like that we don't get finishes, but I love the Cowboy telling you that you got to be here to see these main events. You can't get them always on TV. But I also uh, love that he referred to this as an alternative, an alternative to that New York stuff. We are so on the same page because that's in my notes when he goes, thanks for tuning in. We need an ulterior or, you know, alternate. And it's just, you know, he wasn't going to mention the WWF, but, you know, you can read between the lines and know exactly what he was talking about, you know. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of a a funny comment to say. And, and, uh, you know, we've talked about in the past how he would rip guys for going to the WWF, you know, when JYD left the Mid-South. He said he had a breakdown mentally and chose to – have easier competition, right. you know, like, so it's not the first time he's thrown a, a jab at the WWF. Yeah, or he talks about up there in uh, New York, they have those breakaway chairs, you know, <laughs> basically yes. saying that yeah, the our, wrestling is fake. <laughs> our, our wrestling is real, but not up there in the cartoons, That's you right. know, cartoon land. <laughs> exactly. And as they conclude the show, Bill Watts reminding us that Ted DiBiase returning to the territory next week. So we have that to look forward to as we roll on May 11th, Power Pro, Jim Ross hosting in a lot of throwback matches. First, it's Chavo Guerrero over Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs under a hood. Spin kick and German suplex sees Chavo go over in about 11 minutes time. Good little matchup from Houston, Texas. Also here on Power Pro, Dr. Death over Taurus Balba. Ugh, had to remind me of him. Terry Taylor defeating Lord Humongous. Remember that matchup? That was actually Humongous's final match, I do believe, before he retired. Also here. On Power Pro, Ted DiBiase going back a few months, defeating Dick Murdoch. Remember that feud, guys? DiBiase sliding out of the brainbuster attempt and blasting Murdoch with old Maggie, the loaded glove, sees DiBiase going over on Dickie in 13 minutes' time. Just a little warm-up there, Roman, to get us familiar with Ted DiBiase as he returns to the company. And what a great matchup on free TV. You know, this would have been a great match in all Japan, 
but to have, you know, both of them legends in Japan, of course, but to have this on TV. And I like the fact that they, those two were wrestling because just recently, you know, a few months prior, Murdoch had interfered in the DiBiase flair match, cost uh, DiBiase a shot at winning the world heavyweight title. So there was a backstory to this match. And uh, just to see blood on TV and, the, a funny moment when they went into the crowd, there's a fan in the front row that leaps over chairs to get to like the third or fourth row. Cause he was so afraid of all the action. You know, I, <laughs> I can't do it justice, but if you're watching it, it was, it was quite comical to see that like fear in his eyes to get away from the crowd. And then Murdoch did, did a move that I always liked and I wish they had had a name for it. It was the one that Ivan Koloff would do. The knee drive. You're talking when about the knee drive off the top rope and the back of the head. Right. When he Love would grab his move. opponent's And I don't know how to describe it here in my notes. Back. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you you did it. Yeah, the need. I wish they had came up with a catchy name for it because when oh, Ivan so. did that, I always thought like, what a finisher, you know. And uh, yeah, this was just an action-packed match, and it was it was uh, good to see in 13 minutes. You know, it wasn't a quick little three minutes. No, they were out right. of time to get 13 minutes of action between two legendary wrestlers like this. I give this a thumbs up. You fans definitely want to check out this match. Yeah, and for me, a sleeper to open it as well. I mean, Chavo obviously is in the territory now. They're trying to get him over. We've seen him a lot on Power Pro here in these Houston matches as they try to build him up as a real contender in the Mid-South area. But Chavo and Mr. Olympia, Chavo, one of my favorites of all time. Now, I'm going to get a lot of backlash for this, but Chavo was my favorite Guerrero of that generation. Now, Eddie was just... He came a generation after, even though they were all brothers. So I don't really lump Eddie into that group of Hector Chavo and Mondo, even though they're all brothers. So don't get too upset with me, guys, when I say that. But Chavo was like my favorite Guerrero from that group. By far, I loved him in the ring. Maybe he wasn't the greatest person to deal with backstage, I guess. But I just I was a huge Chavo mark. And I was a huge uh, Jerry Stubbs mark, Mr. Olympia mark specifically. So to get that match for absolutely no reason, 11 minutes as well on the same show, two big matches, you got quality matches you got full matches you got the finish i mean you're talking nearly half the show 30 minutes of the show was was not not counting the other matches was action so i mean we got a lot of wrestling here on power pro this week yeah i'm just uh thinking about jerry Stubbs. what a underrated performer he was and it's oh a God. shame he never got a chance in the ma- major spotlight you know i mean the, the hardcore fans knew about him he was big in the southeastern areas mr olympia and everything teamed with arn anderson but it would have been fun to see him get a, a good long run, you know, even even like in a world class, even if it wasn't WWF or NWA, like a world class or, or you know, a good push in Florida or something like that. He would have been fun to see put in the spotlight a little bit more. Yeah, I think with that body that he had at one point as Mr. Olympia, I mean, that's something Vince might have even wanted to capitalize on. But Vince wasn't huge into those mask gimmicks. I mean, obviously, the machines were meant to be a, a, a comedy act to a degree uh, to foil Bobby Heenan. Mask Superstar came in and out, you know, in 84. But other than that, I can't think of a whole lot of Mask guys that came through the WWF during that long period of time. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, Jerry Stubbs had that deep Southern accent. And then, of course, he was balding as well. So it just didn't work well aesthetically for Vince McMahon. Uh, But, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Mr. Olympia come through and get a good run in one of those other territories, like you mentioned. It's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Very, very underrated performer. And, uh those of you that get a chance to see some Continental or something like that on YouTube or get a hold of some DVDs. Uh, oh, his whole I run in Mid-South. Pre- yeah, yeah, he was he was in Mid-South, yeah. And uh, I, I think you fans would understand what Ray and I are talking about, you know, if you give him a shot. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, but we're going to go on. We close out Power Pro here with a Dark Journey music video. Madonna's Dress You Up. I remember this video, Roman, like like it was yesterday as a kid. 
And is that Joel's basement I wrote here? As, as we see a clip of uh, the beginning of the video shows like an, an editing area. And I wrote, is that Joel Watts? Is that the Watts family basement? Is that where Joel does his work from? Remember, you hear the stories of Paul Heyman doing the ECW editing down in his parents' basement. So I just pictured that's, mm-hmm. where, that's where we're at here with Joel Watts. Just, it's so funny. We've talked about this before, like how you could just take any song that was popular in the 80s <laughs> and sure they weren't could. worried about, you know, <laughs> just whatever was the hot song at the time. Oh, we'll just play it on our wrestling show. We won't I, pay royalties. I wonder who, what singer or what group was the first person to complain, kick on that, that caused the, all of this to get shut down? Because it happens very abruptly all across the board. I mean, Vince was even doing it through, uh, say, the summer of 87 a little bit because he had Morris Day in the time for Coco still. Up until they had that Pile Driver album, they were able to switch out Honky Tonks. Well, I guess Honky's wasn't really copyrighted to begin with, but they switched out a couple of couple of guys' themes. But even Vince was doing that into 87 to a degree. Crockett more so, yes, and certainly Bill Watts doing it more so here as well. You know, it, it's funny you mention that because I was thinking the same thing. You know, if you watch Peacock or the old classics on demand when – Somebody would come to the ring, they would change their theme music, you know, you wouldn't hear Black Sabbath, Iron Man for LOD, they would do some other generic music or whatever, but right. yeah, at some point, some artist had to go, no, no, you're not using my, you didn't pay me anything for that, I mean, Bruce Springsteen was being played, you know, and just anybody Michael Jackson. popular, their music, yeah, Michael Jackson for the opening of, of uh, WWF. Yeah, the championship TV wrestling, just, for years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then, and who knows, maybe maybe back in that era, the music artists go, hey, that's cool. We're getting exposure. You know, right. I, I don't know. But it was just kind of funny. It's, at some point, somebody had to put their foot down and go, no more. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't ZZ Top because they were huge mm-hmm. wrestling fans. We'd see them at ringside and things. And they were used quite a bit, like here with the Fantastics. Oh, yeah. And uh, they were used almost like how New Jack, would, the theme music would play and play and play. That's how sharp dressed man was for anybody that remembers the fantastics coming to the ring. Their their ring entrances were legendary for you know being ten eleven minutes sometimes it seemed yeah, like. Well, their, their their entrances were longer than a New Jack match, that's for sure. So yeah, <laughs> we yeah. roll on to the following week, May seventeenth. Now UWF Television and a new set of TV tapings here, taped back May the eleventh. So very fresh. Only six days ago at the Tulsa Convention Center. It's Jim Ross and Bill Watts hosting the show here as we get a brief mention that the North American title will be retired. Yes, indeed, guys. May the 30th, Houston, Texas. There will be a first ever UWF heavyweight champion crowned during a one night single elimination tournament. So that's some big news here. We're retiring the North American title, crowning a new champion in a tournament later this month. Now, I'm curious what your thoughts were on that, Ray, because it's excitement of having a tournament, you know, but there's that word you know, again. In the long run, it, yeah, in the long run, it's like it's not fair to Duggan. He's the champ. Why does I he got to give up his belt just beca- just because they decide to come up with a new name? The Fantastics didn't have to give That's up their exact, belts. That was you my know? Point. Yep, I agree with you 100. Right? I don't. You know, I I literally every time I I do these I've been doing these TV shows running running into this tournament, I've I've questioned that like 20 times. <laughs> why why are we doing uh, okay. this? Clearly, they want to take the belt for, off Duggan without taking the belt off Duggan. For for you fans out there, it's not like Ray and I have known each other for 25 years, and <laughs> like, but it's amazing how much we think alike. We really it's, do think we alike. We think logical. I, I'm assuming we think logical, yes. Roman. I think that's what it is. I, you know, and and wrestling is illogical a lot of times. You know, and and just from Watts, the guy that wanted to make sense, I was like, well, Duggan, but he did everything he could to make sure Slater got screwed. You know, so 
Duggan's the champ, and now it's like, oh, let's take the belt away from him. And and I know there's excitement with the tournament, you know, and you're trying to draw crowds and whatnot and the, the unpredictability, but Duggan didn't deserve to lose the belt just because they changed the name of the company. Yeah, and I'm looking forward, guys. We're going to be discussing that entire title tournament on the next episode here that Roman and Roman joins us for more of this UWF in 86. So it won't take long to find out who the new champion will be and, uh, yeah, everything that goes along with that. As uh, also here on commentary, Bill Watts putting over Dale Cook in the kickboxing world, recently winning the championship gold there. I wrote, funny how Bill just plugged whatever he wanted to whenever he wanted to. It was his show. I, I, yeah, I did not understand. Why are you putting that guy over? He's not going to be a special guest referee. Maybe you gave him a ticket, like, ticket to the show. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I just thought that was very bizarre. Like, why are you spending on time on a guy that's not part of your company? I think the Cowboys just networking. That had to be my guess anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we head to the ring. Ring announcer Mike Wilson here to introduce Kamala with manager Skandor Akbar. Kamala taking on Tracy Smothers. So Smothers back-to-back bad weeks here. Last week it was the Warrior. This week, yikes, Kamala in the ring. And Tracy himself, he's a big dude for those who don't realize it, but Kamala, a whole lot bigger. And Kamala attacking with chops. And then what Watts calls a circle kick. It was actually a savat kick here, but I love the fact that the Cowboy referred to a savat kick as a circle kick. You got to love the Cowboys' verbiage. Yeah, a lot of times wrestling announcers did not know what to call things. You know, Jake's DDT sometimes would be called an inverted pile driver. Sure. Yeah, I've heard them call many things, many different words uh, when they, well, we can't come up with a word for that move that Dick Murdoch did. But in this instance, these moves have, have names. Certainly, we've heard crescent kick from Gorilla Monsoon, Savat kick from various people. You could even really call this a poor man super kick if you really wanted to from Kamala. Call it a lot of things. Eric Bischoff would call it a back leg round kick or something along those lines. But Bill Watts referring to it as a circle kick here, and that was just new to me. It, uh, as Conrad Thompson would say, it just tickled me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, like I said, some of the verbiage is funny, especially years later when they would coin you know, everybody knew Jake's move as a DDT, but back then to, to hear an inverted pile driver or something like that was kind of funny. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you. But Kamala just eating Tracy Smothers alive here. Double thrust chop and the big splash going to end this in just one minute's time. So Kamala looking dominant as he continues to make the rounds, challenging Duggan for that North American title on the house shows. And I don't know about you. I was kind of surprised at the, the reaction Smothers got. You know, I didn't expect people to boo him or anything, but he got kind of a nice reaction when they introduced his name. Hey, man, nobody does it like a thug. R.I.P. Tracy <laughs> Smothers. No, I was just going to say Smothers is a guy that I always wanted to meet and was going to meet him. The pandemic happened, so the convention got canceled. I, I never got to meet him, but I know you've met him and you've told me some good stories about him. And uh, he would have been a fun, fun guy to, to talk to. He seemed like, yeah, a, seemed like a nice guy. He told me stories I can never repeat here on air. I'll just leave it at that. And it didn't really involve him, but man, just some crazy stories involving some other top level stars that things he witnessed over his career. So yeah, I'll share those with you off air sometime, Roman. That's just certain things I can't say on, on, on air. That's we'll just leave it there. Oh, for I'd, now. I'd love to hear about it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so we go on with the show here. We've seen Kamala. Now we see Korchenko with Eddie Gilbert in his corner, taking on Perry Jackson. And Watts right out of the gate saying that politicians are being fooled that Russia wants peace. Russia wants war like Libya and Afghanistan. You see, the cowboy, he knows more about foreign countries than the U.S. government, Roman. The, the government's being fooled, you know, I, says the cowboy. 
Just the more and more we watch these episodes and review them, why did anybody watch CBS Nightly News? They should have just turned into UWF Wrestling, and Watts could have gave them the opinion of every country known to man. Absolutely. Instead of listening for 30 minutes to get the opinion, Watts just tells you right out of the gate, this is the way it is because he said so. And there's still more to come. I was talking to Steve Crawford on that Memphis show. Again, we go back to Korchenko, and I dropped the line. We haven't got there yet, but I'm just going to spoil it now. There's a, a promo coming up soon. Uh, where Watts talks about Dr. Death. He's getting ready for, you know, this feud with Korchenko. And Watts just blurts out this sentence that it made no sense to me, but I had to pop and laugh, or laugh at it anyway. He goes, Dr. Death hates the Russians. He even hated the Russians in college. I was like, what does that even mean? He even hated the Russians you, in college. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me, Ray. That, that is in my notes, and I even put, what? And I put, like, two question marks after that, like, was Doc sitting around in the dorm room like, oh, man, I really hate Russia. Like, Where did that come from? I like how it just started, too. Like, he even hated him in college. Like, that was so long ago. So he hated him in college 40 years ago, <laughs> yeah. you know? It just it, it, made, oh. it made no sense to me. But um, action gets going here, if you want to call it that. Korchenko dominating, per the usual, with his version of the Russian sickle and the over-the-shoulder backbreaker drop, giving Korchenko the win one minute and 45 seconds. And post-match, Korchenko burying Perry Jackson under that Russian flag. But it's Dr. Death out to put a stop to it. Doc hits the ring, grabbing the Russian flag off of Perry Jackson, blasting Korchenko with the flagpole over and over again. But look out, Doc. It's the Blade Runner. Sting and Rock back this week. They hit the ring and attack Williams from behind, making it once again a three-on-one. As Eddie Gilbert stands back, encouraging the beatdown, when it looks like all the hope is lost out of nowhere, it's Ted DiBiase. DiBiase is back. DiBiase back here in the UWF as Teddy rushes the ring to make the save for his good friend and tag team partner, Steve Williams. And Teddy not alone. He brought Maggie with him, Roman. Maggie, his loaded glove. And with the odds a little more even now, the babyface is able to run off the heel group. Always good to see DiBiase in the area. You know, face, heel, whatever. Just a legendary performer. And something I regret, I, I've met DiBiase several times through the years, but he was at a convention that I was working and I always wanted to know, like, what is the significance of Maggie? Was that like an ex-girlfriend's name or was it just a name thrown out there? Like, I know it may seem silly, but I think about goofy things like that. I always wondered what the backstory was, why he called it Maggie. Yeah, I'm going to have to Google and see if that was ever answered in like a shoot interview or, or anything like that. So that's going to be very, very interesting. What is yeah, D.B. Aussie. Gosh, it, it, it's hard not to get happy about D.B. Aussie being in the area. You know, we saw a match on Power Pro, him against Murdoch, just... DiBiase, just a Hall of Famer. He checks all the boxes. Yeah, back from all Japan. For now, he'll disappear again in a couple months to head back to Japan again. But I'll take it while I can get it. As we right up next, it's clue number three in the trivia contest. We're going to figure out this mystery wrestler if it kills us. His favorite match, this wrestler's favorite type of match, is the partial title of an award-winning movie. I wrote, what the fuck is that? I hope clue number four is a softball question because these last two have been ridiculous. Then you would think they would want to make them easy so they can get more people submitting so they can have their addresses to send the, their sales catalogs to. Like, why are they why are they making these questions like they're, they're on Jeopardy? They should be easy. Yeah, I don't even. I, so when I did this, I didn't even try to think. I just got really pissed off at the question and moved on with my notes. But as I you know prepared here right before we went on the air, I thought, you know, I started thinking gimmick matches. And for some reason, like the first gimmick match that came to my head was Coal Miner's Glove. Partial name of an award-winning movie, Coal Miner's Daughter, which had came out, you know, a little, I think a little earlier than this with Sissy Spacek, one of my grandma's favorite movies because she was and a huge Loretta, Loretta Lynn. Lynn fan. Yeah. 
So um, I'm thinking, okay, this wrestler's favorite match is a coal miners glove match, perhaps. Still, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. It's not Dutch Savage over in Portland, the inventor of the gimmick. <laughs> you know, it's funny just having a flashback when WCW would have like a trivia contest. I remember they would have a silhouette of a guy that was obviously Sting. And they right, would say, yes. this wrestler is from Venice Beach, California. They wanted a billion people to send stuff in so they sure. get everybody's address. Absolutely. UWF's making it like it's a, a million-dollar question. Yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's weird because that first question to me, I mean, that would be hard for anybody of the time to know. Uh, I knew it because, well, I, I know you know my history, but I also know the, the question about he was originally uh, referred to as Moose in, in school. And I only knew that because uh, you know he used that a little bit when he first broke into the business. I think he might have even used that a little bit in Georgia. So I, I kind of guessed it right away, and it made sense to me because it's somebody currently on the active roster here. But these last two questions, I don't even know what the hell they're doing. Uh, but we head to a commercial break after that. And back from break in the ring, holy shit, it's the cowboy himself. Uh-oh. Bill Watts calling out Eddie Gilbert. Yikes. Watts demanding that little punk Eddie Gilbert be brought to the ring I wrote, oh boy, shit's about to get real, Roman. He, uh, Watts says, as president of Mid-South, well, it's the UWF bill, but Watts demanding Eddie get rid of the Russian flag. It has no place here in the UWF, no place in a wrestling ring, and no place being put on top of an opponent. The Russian flag is through, says the cowboy. But Eddie reminds Watts that he can't do that. It's a free country. Hot stuff can do what he wants when he wants. But Bill says, yes, it is indeed a free country, but it is the Cowboys company. So either abide by the decision or Eddie, he can wrestle elsewhere. And when I saw Watts in the ring, I was <laughs> thinking of JR, like business is about to pick up. There you go. And Watts, Watts is staying consistent. You know, the, you can't call him a hypocrite. You know, he's been bad mouthing Russia forever. So, you know, for him to get on the mic and say no more Russian flag, that's Pretty consistent with what he's been saying the last several weeks. So the Cowboy makes the ultimatum to Eddie Gilbert, drop the flag or get out of my company. And out comes Corsita Korchenko. And soon after, also out comes the Blade Runners as well. The heels all gathering together in the ring, circling Watts. As the Cowboy says, he hopes they're not out here to try to intimidate him because he's here on a professional capacity. He just hates Russia, that's all. Korchenko keeps teasing trying to sneak up behind the Cowboy here. But not long after that, Dr. Death storms the ring, looking for revenge from earlier tonight. But the referees and Bill Watts have to hold the doc back here. We're not going to have any of that go on here. This is just a simple interview uh, Bill Watts wants to get across here. It then appears that Korchenko readies himself to nail Doc from behind with that red shovel when the cowboy unloads. Korchenko running right into a Bill Watts right hand, the cowboy blasting the Russian, knocking him down on his ass as the crowd goes absolutely nuts here. Bill Watts blasting the warrior, then Sting, the heels bumping for the cowboy all over the ring, and it's Ted DiBiase making again another return uh, to even the odds just a little bit more as the baby faces take on all four of the heels, but it's Watts who shines here, bumping the heels all around the ring. Eddie Gilbert taking a ridiculously awesome bump, jumping about five feet in the air to take a back bump after a big right hand from the Cowboy. And the heels finally clear the ring as the fans go bonkers. And I wrote, well, they've gone and done it now, Roman. They poked the bear. They woke the sleeping giant, pulling the Cowboy out of retirement. 
Yeah, when when Watts attacked Korchenko, and then DiBiase ran to the ring, and Katie barred the door. We had a pier sixer, and Watts nailed everybody, and oh, I awesome. mean everybody. I'm surprised he didn't find the hot dog vendor and lay a right hand to his face uh, too. And Warrior, oh, even Warrior gosh. knew to bump for the cowboy. I mean, even Warrior. Everybody, <laughs> everybody sold for the boss, and, and I mean it. It made Watts look like a million bucks that he was a legit ass-kicking badass. And it was fun to watch. The crowd ate it up. The heels sold. You mentioned that five-foot jump that Eddie Gilbert sold, like he got hit with a shotgun or something. (laughs) Like, it was just – Watts came out like – you know, they used to say Mike Tyson was the baddest man walking the face of the earth. If you saw this video, you'd swear it would have been Bill Watts. That's how good they made him look. And we got a lot of green guys in there taking bumps for the Cowboys. So I wonder if there was a conversation backstage. You guys better sell this good or if they just knew better because uh, it's, it's I mean, odd seeing the I warrior mean, even, you know, taking those great, you know, great bumps for, for the Cowboy here. You know, I was thinking the same thing. How much of it was, this is our boss or and how much of it, if any, were the conversations like, Hey guys, make it look good. You know, I, <laughs> I wonder, cause you know, Brody would always sell for Baba or if he was in the AWA for Vern Gunn, he knew to sell for the boss. And everybody, including the Warrior, made Watts. And you think about it, at that time, Watts, I don't know his exact age, but he wasn't, you know, a teenager. Sure. Warrior was a lot younger, a lot more muscular, whatever. But when Watts laid those right hands in, Warrior sold it like, like you know, he got beat up by a legit tough man. Yeah, and it was those the bumping from all four of the heels here that just made, the crowd was going to pop anyway. But they exploded the way Bill was handling these guys. It was, it was, and it wasn't just like he punched everybody once. They just kept feeding into him, and they just kept bumping. It right. was like Doc and DiBiase were out there to even the odds, but they really didn't play a big part in this. This was just Watts going nuts. And, and that's what I was going to say. It wasn't just Watts throwing the punch. Had the heels not sold it the right way, it would have been like, eh, okay, there's an old guy in the ring throwing punches. Yeah, you're right. But, you're I mean, right. everybody, everybody did their part to make this look good. And all you have to do is just listen to the crowd. They bought it. Nobody was thinking like, oh, that older guy, really? Uh, they were they were like, go get him, cowboy. They sure were. You know, it took me a couple of looks. I had to go back and watch this uh, spot again to see if Bill actually threw the first punch because I'm like, did he just haul off and knock somebody after telling everybody to calm down? But I realized when I went back, I actually watched it a couple more times, the, the spot where it started. It's Korchenko with the shovel. And it's very vague, but it looks like he's about to clock Dr. Death with the shovel. And Bill Watts is ready. He knows it's coming. So maybe he jumped the gun by a split second. Like the crowd couldn't read it as good. But if you go back and watch it, absolutely, you can see it's Bill Watts defending Dr. Death from being hit from behind with that that red shovel. So very cool segment. That, that is, I was going to say, that's a great catch by you because I didn't catch that. Well, I didn't catch it the first time. And, and, and me watching it, I thought like, wow, he just immediately went after Korchenko and like, let's get it on. But yeah, I didn't know he was defending somebody. So that's a great catch on your part. Well, no, I mean, I just, it didn't make sense to me. You know, it just didn't seem like the cowboy to just randomly assault someone in the middle, you know, sneak attack, so to speak, uh, especially the way he's been, you know, trashing Russia. He would want Russia to be the, the heel in this, right? So I went back and I watched it and I still, I was still like, did that happen? And I had to watch it a third time. And I'm like, okay, yeah, clearly it was supposed to be Korchenko going to hit Dr. Death and Bill Watts basically intercepting it with a right hand to the face. And yeah, that, that was an exciting moment. And the thing about UWF 86, that's just one of many instances that'll happen later. 
as well where the crowd is so loud you almost have to turn your TV down. And no wonder like, Jim Ross had to, had to scream every week on, on, on UWTV. Yes. A lot of people give him crap for you know the, his commentary, especially during these big angles where he would just scream throughout the entire segment. But sometimes he had to over these crowds. And and I have mentioned that in the past, you know, on, on another podcast and ours as well, is that Ross was the right guy for this job because had it been Gordon solely, I don't know if Gordon could have talked over the crowd. I highly doubt it. I, could, well, I mean, there's times where Russell. I can't hear Gordon well when, when there's something crazy going on in Georgia. And think about that. There's like 80 people in the crowd. Right. So when the crowd's going nuts, you would hear Ross kind of elevate his voice to get the point over. And there's several times during the year where you'll hear Ross say something like, hey, I'm losing my pipes or sorry, my voice is, you know, I, I, I had to get loud. Like, that's how electric the crowds were back then. You know, in 86, I'm so glad we're doing this project, right? I'm getting fired up just talking about it because yeah. 86 UWF was one of my favorite years and promotions. And so I, those two combined, this is a blast. I agree. And I have to say probably 86 Crockett was probably the best year in JCP as well. And the crowds there oh, were was very a great similar. Year too. And they were so loud for every punch, every elbow, every whatever that Tony and uh, David Crockett, they wouldn't even try. That was They would go silent during those those periods, you know. So I, I like that Jim Ross took a different approach and was commentating over to give us, you know, and I telling the story, so to speak, on top of the visual that was going on in the ring. So I agree with you there. And to close out this segment, I just had one note here. I just thought it was cool. I wrote, how cool was it? Those shots of Bill Watts standing across the ring with Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. Think about the crossover of generations there. And Watts... He wasn't having their shit, man. It just, it was so cool. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Sting and Ultimate Warrior would go in to be two future world heavyweight champions. But, uh, yeah, just, it, it's cool in that retrospect, too, to go back in the time machine. Like, right. these guys were green as grass. You know, this was before they were anybody. So that's what makes this project fun to go back into time and see stuff. And you look back now, like, okay, this guy did this or this happened or whatever. And then, sadly, on the other end, you can look back, oh, man, this one passed away and this one, you know, like, it's kind of crazy when you go back in the time machine, all kinds of memories and stuff come back to you. So following the break, no more cowboy on commentary, as you guys might suspect. Jim Ross now joined by, well, it's Freebird Michael Hayes. And no, guys, I can't do the well without actually doing the hand gesture that Doc Hendricks would do. So if I ever do a video, you guys will see that I just it's, it's impossible to do one without the other. But uh, we, <laughs> it's Michael Hayes joining Jim Ross on commentary as we head back to the ring for Ted DiBiase taking on Gustavo Mendoza, referee Tommy Gilbert here, as DiBiase making his official in-ring return. We've already seen him twice tonight, but this is his in-ring return here to TV. Teddy working the arm of Mendoza early on. Gustavo finally breaking free, but runs into a boot in the corner. From there, we get the patented DiBiase fist drop, and eventually the signature power slam, putting Ted DiBiase over three minutes and ten seconds. I wrote, Gustavo, he tried a few times, but just couldn't get anything going this week. Great win for Ted DiBiase, and normally I would complain, wait, why didn't Gustavo get his shit in? But DiBiase's back, and it had to be a definitive win. Oh, it's exactly. And, you know, we, we're missing Watts on commentary, but we got Michael Hayes on commentary, who I always thought did a great job. And I love the fact that they mentioned 1981, that they had a history with DiBiase, that they hurt him. To me, that just adds a little extra spice to the to the rivalry, you know, that for fans that didn't know or maybe just started watching wrestling in 86, it, it you know, paints a little bit of a backstory. Like, yes, we hate DiBiase. We beat him up before. We'll do it again. I love the fact that they put DiBiase over as an international star, mentioning his success in Japan. 
They mentioned the wrestling publications that he's always in the top 10. They did everything on commentary to present DiBiase as a major star. You yes, can tell he was a major star. Just, star. Yeah, you can tell he was a major star just by watching him work. But when you start throwing in accolades that, you know, he, he dominates in Japan, he's a top 10 wrestler in the magazines, like it, it really helps get him over. Like you're watching somebody special and he's in our league. Yeah, I don't know if it's this episode of TV or the next one we're going to cover next time around, but Jim Ross on commentary at one point, he's talking to Michael Hayes about that angle. And I don't know if he was embellishing it to make it even, you know, sound even bigger or if it, Ross had never seen the actual angle done in Georgia, but he talks about the four pile drivers. And he said, every one of them done on the floor. Well, it was only one of the four that was done on the floor, but I just thought that was kind of interesting there, the way JR uh, kind of oversold the, the angle. But, you know, it was a few years ago. Not everybody exactly had access to go back and watch it. Certainly not at that point in time. So, you know, <laughs> what can I say? As uh, we continue on here, localized promos for Dallas, the Fort Worth area. Wow, UWF invading Dallas. Talk about balls, but not only coming to the city of Dallas, Fort Worth, but the Reunion Arena, one of the many homes of world-class championship wrestling. Right now, we're going to hear from a few of the babyfaces heading to town. It's Terry Taylor, followed by Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. They're coming to Fort Worth at the Reunion Arena, July 27. Hello, Dallas Fort Worth. Let me introduce myself. My name is Terry Taylor, and I'm with the Universal Wrestling Federation, and I'm glad of it. And I find out pretty soon we're going to be coming to Dallas Fort Worth, and I'm looking forward to coming to the Union Reunion Arena. Oh, so much history and so much buildup about it, and I'm excited about coming. All those good-looking Texas ladies, hey, the best in professional wrestling is coming to Dallas. And I just want everybody to know that I'm a part of it, and I'm, I don't have an opponent yet. But I'm looking forward. I'm staying in the best shape of my life because we are going nationwide. And I think everybody out there, if you watch professional wrestling and you watch the UWF and anybody else, I think if you match them up side by side, just say that we are the best. And it's not just because of me being here, but it's because of everything. The Fantastics, Jim Duggan. Ted DiBiase, Dr. Death, the greatest wrestlers in the world today are right here in the UWF and we're coming to your home. So I'm looking forward to coming to Dallas Reunion Arena. I've heard everything about it and I'm just looking forward to coming to it. And after the matches are over, I don't know who I'm with yet, but I'm going to do the best I can to win because I hear all those ladies out there like to party all night long. And I'm looking forward to that too. Oh boy, excitement, excitement. You people know I'm no stranger to Dallas, Texas. Well, I'm on the other side now, and I'm happy to be here. I'm right here with my best friend and best partner, Ted DiBiase. She swings like a blonde with a millionaire. That's Dallas. I tell you what, it's always great to go to Dallas. I love Dallas. I love Texas. You know, I went to school right up the road there, up there in the Panhandle, where everything's flat, up there near Amarillo, West Texas State University. So you might say, even though I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, I'm a transplanted Texan. And you know what else they got in Texas, Doc? A lot of pretty girls. So we got a lot of reasons for coming to Dallas. We want to meet all you girls out there, and we want the finest in wrestling competition. And you find that right here in the UWF. And we are definitely coming your way. There's a lot of action. There's a lot going on in the UWF. There's a lot of excitement in the air. And we just want to be part of it. We want to be right in the middle of it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And you Dallas fans are going to find out that you're looking at two of the very toughest. Woo! There it is. Terry Taylor looking forward to coming back to Dallas. Doc and DiBiase, they're not, none of these baby faces trying to hide the cell job here. All of them making sure to mention the pretty girls in Dallas, asking them to come out to the show. So Ken Mantel, not only taking Dallas talent, Roman, but now they're invading the world-class arenas, not just the city, the arenas. Right, the major arenas that everybody saw the Von Erichs in. And then I thought it was a nice little touch that DiBiase mentioned 
he he uh, spent time in Texas. Sure. You know that he went to that he went to school there. You know he didn't try to ignore his roots or act like, oh, this is my first time in Texas. You know, so I, I thought that was a nice little touch. You know that he can relate to Texas because he's been there before. Well, sure, he had been through Houston, Amarillo. I mean, yeah, so absolutely, Ted DiBiase, he he knew his roots and putting it over, and that's a good way to you know sell yourself. Hey, I may be from Nebraska, you know, I may, but I went to West Texas. I'm a Texan at heart, and you know that's that's a pretty cool deal. You know, a, a little while earlier, about a year earlier, in all Japan, you know, he was coming to the ring in chaps and cowboy oh my hat. God, I you love know, that. First time I ever saw that version, I, I'd seen The Million Dollar Man by that point. So, you know, I didn't get the tapes until the 90s of, you know, uh, Japanese wrestling. I was like, what is this? Like, it took me a minute to buy into it. But once I did, it was so cool. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, you don't think of DiBiase in Texas. Like, why no. is he wearing a cowboy hat? And right. then when you realize he's with Hanson, you know, he did he did go to school in Texas. It, it made sense. And then, then you start watching Hanson and DiBiase together. And I'm like, man, what a... What a dynamite tag team that for years you were only able to read about in magazines here in America till the tape trading days, you know, yeah. and now there's YouTube and, you know, whatnot. But when you would read about them in 85, I, I remember thinking, like, my gosh, I'd love to see Hanson and DiBiase as a team. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's any of it out there on YouTube, I know you, New Japan cracks down hard on uh, having their old footage on YouTube. I learned that the hard way, Roman. But, um, yeah, I don't know if there's a lot of All Japan out there on YouTube. But if so, you guys go check that team out. It's pretty damn cool. And it takes a little bit to adjust to Ted DiBiase playing a Texas Cowboy. But, man, what great matches. As uh, we continue on with the show, here comes a fun segment. We go to a VTR. It's Jim Ross in the UWF offices with Lady Maxine, Jack Victory with her, and the returning Dark Journey. And they're seated around a table here with a cocktail of choice. Uh, later on in future weeks, JR referring to it as a cup of tea. I don't know about that, but Jack Victory standing behind Lady Max as JR explains he already had an interview lined up with Maxine, but he also wanted to interview Journey here this week, who is returning to the company after a brief hiatus as we get a two-for-one, it would appear here, two interviews for the price of one. Uh, where has Journey been? asks JR. Apparently, she says she's been partying and living her lifestyle. I don't doubt that. She said she's been dabbling in some business ventures. I don't doubt that either. Guys want to look up her past career. Journey, though, continues where she <laughs> left off with the stance that she only works with winners. Champions, Roman. Maxine's turn to speak now as Ross asks her about her involvement in Jack Victory's two biggest wins to date, scoring pinfalls over Terry Taylor and Dr. Death in recent weeks. Of course, Maxine playing a big part in those wins. Max says the only thing she has in common with Journey is they like winners, champions, and victory is championship material. Journey, she takes exception to Maxine insinuating they have anything in common, Roman. DJ then puts over victory as a handsome, talented young man, stating that if Jack was with her, he'd already be a champion. And at that point, Max says victory would never be with a woman like Journey. DJ agrees because victory couldn't handle a woman like Journey. As a matter of fact, Journey says she's not even sure Maxine is a woman. Oh, here we go. DJ then standing up, throwing her drink into the face of Lady Maxine, and an irate Max jumping up, flipping the table over as Journey just walks off. So based on the comments made from both sides, I wrote, was there a baby face here? Because Journey really laying into Maxine for absolutely no reason. So it's like Journey's a tweener at this point. It was just absolutely horrible banter between these yeah. two. 
I was just watching it and cringing. I mean, let's face it, Dark Journey and Lady Maxine, nobody's ever conf- going to confuse them with Meryl Streep or anybody. I'm just, It just didn't come off real, didn't come off believable. And then, you know, if you're trying to get heat, like, ooh, they threw water in her face. Like, at least get up and slap her and run off or something. Like, I, I just, not to be a Debbie Downer, I just thought this segment really went nowhere and it could have been done better. Yeah, it seemed odd, almost rushed, like this is the best we could come up with in a short period of time. I don't know how quick they knew that Journey was going to be back in the company. I'm not really sure how all that went down, because she did leave, you know, while Dick Slater was getting ready to leave. They had separated. But Journey is back, and uh, she will, as we'll see, she'll uh, do quite a bit here for the next several months with the company. But at this point in time, I just, you know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it. I, I was happy that they gave them time to shine, which Michael Hayes is not. I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but we get a, a feud here. It seems like a feud is a Bruin. Uh, we know the two ladies are, are not getting along. Jack Victory kind of playing a, a pawn in the middle because Journey said, if I had him, he is a handsome man, which I've never heard Jack Victory being referred to that as, as handsome before. But hey, that's pretty cool. I'm sure he was popping for that. But uh, Journey says, if I had him, he'd already be a champion. Maxine, you know, taking exception to that. And of course, Journey laying it out there. If you are a woman based on, you know, Max's looks. Of course, for those who've never seen her, mohawk, you know, spray painted hair and or dyed hair, whatever you want to call it. And um, six foot, whatever, six, four, I think Jr. always says. So just definitely a different look for, for a female at the time. Uh, but it is what it is. And uh, we come back from the segment. We come back from seeing the VTR. Michael Hayes on commentary, he asks, why are they spending so much time on a couple of broads? That sounds like Michael Hayes to me. Yeah, I remember him saying like... <laughs> My mom is a lady. All the other women, they're just broads. I remember him saying something along those lines, too. So Michael Hayes, no stranger to calling women broads. <laughs> For sure. It's a back from break. We take a quick locker room VTR to Maxine once again, standing by with Jack Victory. Max calling Dark Journey a sleazebag. And Victory challenging DJ to find a man, a really big man, to wrestle Victory right here next week on TV. And I wrote, oh, man, I cannot wait. One of my most favorites of the time. It's just a few weeks away from arriving here in the UWF. And I feel like I just may mark out like a kid again when he makes that return. Shh, Roman, no spoilers. Okay. Even though it's uh, 37 years ago, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it under wraps. I'm trying to build the suspense to pop the, the listeners, man. <laughs> I may pull. I may even have to pull a Bill Watts on that episode and, and and play some illegal music. I may. I might. I might even have to do that. The the good thing about our listeners is they they pretty much know what's going to happen and they still stay tuned to us. So that's that's a kudos to them. You know, I've gotten feedback that they appreciate the way I tell the story on the grenade and the way we specifically tell the story here on the UWF. Uh, in that we we don't even though we know what's going to happen and they know what's going to happen, they love that we tell it like. It's happening in real time as we're, so they can enjoy it again. So it seems to work. They really enjoy that, just telling it as it goes type of deal. Yeah, and, and we never lose sight of the fact that there may be people that didn't watch it when it originally happened, or this may be new. You know, I, I've had feedback from people in the past on certain episodes that would say, I never saw the episode, and I don't watch it, but I enjoy hearing the commentary you guys make, you know, the insights or whatever. So that, that's a compliment as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I guess we're doing something right here in the format that we have as uh, we head back to the ring. It is Jack Victory with Lady Maxine in his corner this week, taking on Dave Peterson. And lots of feeling out here from both men to start off. Peterson hooking a hammerlock as Maxine 
jumping up onto the apron, and the distraction allowing Victory to send Peterson illegally flying over the top rope and out onto the concrete floor. Victory keeps Peterson on the outside for a bit before bringing him back in to try and put him away, but Peterson finally making that big comeback, big backdrop, and a dropkick here on Victory. Dave whipping Jack into the far corner, expecting him to bounce out. Peterson throwing a dropkick, but Maxine grabs hold of Jack to prevent him from stumbling out of the corner, and Dave misses said dropkick. Victory then capitalizing with the gourd buster, getting the win in 4 minutes and 56 seconds. And I wasn't really keen on this finish because Peterson kind of looked goofy here, just expecting someone to bounce out of a corner and throwing a dropkick. You know, what if, what if Max wasn't there and Victory simply didn't stumble out? Would have made more sense just throwing him into the ropes for a dropkick, I would have thought. Uh, but the big story is, who will Dark Journey bring to the ring next week to face Jack Victory? Yeah, that's something uh, he said. We don't want to give away the spoilers. You, everybody's out there just going to have to wait and see. Uh, yeah, and uh, we will see before too long. But right now, Jack Victory picking up another win. As he, and I think it's a much needed win. Yes, he's pinned Terry Taylor and Dr. Death. People are asking, what else does he need to do? But I mean, with this new proclamation, this new challenge that he's issued to Dark Journey, it's good to keep him out there picking up win after win. And again, Maxine coming into play to aid her man into that victory. I was going to say, you can't have a six foot four bodyguard type and especially back then, it was unique for women to look like that. You know, they, you would normally get the dainty Miss Elizabeth type or whatever. I mean, the only other woman even close to that size was Baby Doll, you know. So Maxine stood out in that regard. And, uh, yeah, of course, if you're going to come to the ring with somebody like that, you need to get a couple victories under your belt to, you know, make, make it believable. Up next on the program, it's a UWF fundraiser events promo before we head back to the ring for UWF tag team action, tag team title action. The Fantastic defending the championships against Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner. What an awesome match on paper. And we've got some decent time left on the show here, I wrote, as uh, the match gets started, as they first announced the match room. And then I said, that is until the Fantastics are done with their ring entrance. Yes, their ring entrance eats up half of the time left on this TV episode pissed me off. Yep. We've talked about it before. If they had just shaved off the ring entrance, you know, <laughs> you can get an extra four or five minutes, but uh, you know, it, in this match, you can see like how quick Tommy Rogers is. And that's something that's put out. And then of course, you know, I don't mean to steal your thunder. You'll probably talk about it, but Sawyer takes that crazy bump again through oh, the ropes. It's like, wow. <laughs> it seems like every week. Yeah. I wrote here, I wrote, but man, what a match here. The champions controlling early on. And here we go. Buzz Sawyer leapfrogging a charging Tommy Rogers. Sawyer proud of himself, celebrating, but turns around into a Rogers dropkick. And here it comes. Buzz taking the insane upside down Mad Dog bump through the ropes out to the concrete. Uh, The heels, though, they attempt to take over multiple times in this matchup, but the champions just keep finding their way back in control. When finally, about five minutes in, Fulton missing a dropkick and Buzz flinging him out to the concrete floor. Rick Steiner even taking some cheap shots on the outside. Buzz Sawyer from there going to suplex Bobby back into the ring and then going to the top rope for the Sawyer splash, but that's illegal from the top rope, Roman, as the Mag Dog doesn't seem to care, comes flying off, but Fulton moves out of the way and Sawyer misses. Bobby able to make the hot tag out to partner Tommy Rogers. And from there, it's a four-way melee as the champions land a double dropkick on Rick Steiner. Tommy Rogers then with an inside cradle on Buzz Sawyer could have had a 10 count there, but the referee, Tommy Gilbert, his back was turned. So it's wild, fast action. But once again, Roman, we're out of time. We get about seven minutes of this match here and had me wanting more. 
Oh, definitely. And, you know, you, you have the aspect that Sawyer was a TV champion. And, and me as a fan, I always kind of marked out when you would see several champions in the ring, you know. So you got the tag team champions, one of the top singles wrestlers. And when Sawyer came off the top rope with that splash, it was a really good camera shot because it looked like he was going to go into the camera. Like it was a, a close-up. And you, so you could see the height that Sawyer got and everything. I just oh, thought that great. was a cool cool shot and you know to get back to that insane bump Sawyer took you know when I was watching that you know there's concrete outside so there's no padded mats or anything and it got me thinking like what if Sawyer slipped through the ropes and hit his head on the concrete and sadly I don't know if he would have felt it because yeah, Sawyer was, that was a, bit, a that little was amped up response. on some of his yeah a little amped up on some of the stuff he was uh taking you know and uh you know, but yeah, what, what a tremendous talent, fantastic, so great to see, and it just, it's always a shame when you see the long entrance, because then you know you're going to get shorted from match time, and uh, you kind of figure the time would run out before we saw anything. Yeah, only seven minutes shown, I wish, I would know, this is one of those matches I would love to have seen a finish to, because these are some really great teams. I think Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner long-term would have been a tremendous, in history, oh, to talk about yes. Arn and Tully yes. and things of that nature, I feel like had these guys had that long-haul push as a tag team, we would be talking about them as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Once Ricky evolved a Sawyer, little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sawyer, or I'm, excuse me, Steiner was green, you know, and that was part of the reason of putting him with Sawyer. And uh, yeah, there was definite major potential for those two. They've been able to stick it out together. All right, guys, we got one more piece of business here this week. Power Pro for May the 18th, hosted as always by Jim Ross. We go back in time to the Freebirds contract signing, getting that life insurance and all there from the Cowboy. We also go back once again to Houston, Texas, May the 9th this time, Chavo Guerrero taking on Rick Steiner with Buzz Sawyer in his corner. Remember, Chavo feuding uh, to a degree with Steiner and Buzz, who had recently hanged him over the top rope, as Chavo scores a pinfall, beating Steiner in eight and a half minutes with a Hurricane Rana roll-up. I wrote, fun match with Jim Ross on commentary, but it's the action after the match, post-match, Buzz Sawyer attacking as the heels again, double-teaming Guerrero, looking to clothesline him with that logging chain, but Chavo blasting them with a flying cross-body block instead, and both the heels go rolling out of the ring, so Chavo fending both men off this week on his own, but a fun match here, Rick Steiner and Chavo Guerrero. Yeah, and to see Chavo chase the heels off was, was uh, something, the fans were behind Chavo, you know? Yeah, he was so huge it was, Oh, exactly. You know, I and mean, you think of him wrestling in Houston, you know, that was kind of like a, a second home to him almost, it seemed like. But uh, yeah, a good match for tele- for television. Also here on Power Pro, we get a recap of the Doug and Kamala feud from last year, which is back in gear, gear now here in 1986. And Doug the North American champion this time around. The next segment we're going to save for last. We're going to save the best for last. We'll come back to this. Also here on Power Pro, Kamala over Ricky Gibson. This was recorded back April 13th. Ricky Gibson actually now gone, but a fun little run he had here in the UWF. Yeah, he was, he was fun to watch and uh, he didn't reach the notoriety of his brother, but he was definitely a talented individual. And uh, yeah, he was fun to watch. We talked about this a little bit, I believe last time, but we also see from Houston here on May the 9th, they show 12 minutes of a 30 minute time limit draw between the TV champion, Buzz Sawyer and Coco Beware. We talked about how Coco wasn't always seen as someone of that caliber, right? But here, man, he holds his own, and you believe. And there was always just that instance, even when a guy was pushed to a certain degree, when they got in the ring and it was just a special night. This was that special night for me because Coco looked like he was easily on par with the Mad Dog here. They were like, looked like they were actually having a fight for the 12 minutes that we got here. I wish I could see the entire 30 minutes. Yeah, Coco was in a lot better shape then than he, than he would uh, be in the WWF. And 
you know, you look back now, Coco versus Stein, uh, with, I'm sorry, Coco versus Sawyer, you would figure Sawyer would just run roughshod over him. But back then, it was a very competitive matchup. You know, Coco was very athletic back then. All these guys were both on the ground, sweating, beat the pulp out of each other. It, it, nobody was a winner. It didn't look like, you know, Sawyer had the better of Coco. It didn't look like Ware had that little comeback at the end and Buzz Sawyer goes flying. These guys were both, it was like a war of attrition, and both guys were worn down, laying on the on the mat almost, essentially fighting on their knees. So really great stuff there. And uh, the portion of the match that exists up on my YouTube, guys, so go check it out. In another little segment, now the whole episode of this Power Pro is up on my YouTube, but I also clipped this segment out and put it on its own. I called it Angry Bill Watts, I believe it's called, or something along those lines. I don't know if you know what I'm getting at here, Roman. But there was a promo during this Power Pro, and I don't know that it airs on the normal UWF television show, uh, but I'm glad we got it, guys. I'm going to play the soundbite for you right now. Here it is, Angry Cowboy Bill Watts. My best check my bag make sure everything's packed you know i got a good woman but sometimes they they forget how to pack your bag let's see yeah i need this football helmet there's my belt with a good heavy buckle on it a tire heck a tire won't go through security a metal ball bat mike i bring me a wooden bat that metal one won't pass airport security plenty of tape here tape my hands Oh, Midnight Rider mask. How'd that get in here? Thank you, Micah. I don't need clothes. I'm not going to a fancy tea party. I knew it happened sooner or later. I'm coming to New Orleans. And Jack, make one thing for sure. I'm coming there to take care of business. Doc, I'll back you. Eddie Gilbert, get in my way and I'll wipe you out. All right, so Bill sounds pretty pissed off there. Still finds a way to run down the female race also, as they don't know how to seem to pack a man's bags. As Bill Watts getting ready to go off to the airport, the cowboy packing the trunk of his car here, for those who haven't seen the video, as he heads to catch a plane to the Superdome. I wrote, in a month? So some fun here as Bill Watts looking for weapons to counteract the Russians here. A football helmet, a belt with a big buckle on it, a tire iron. He says, well, that won't make it through security. I, th I thought that was funny when he goes, this won't make it. I, 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 I chuckled for that. <laughs> oh, I love it. And uh, he's, and then he pulls out a metal ball bat. So he says, you know, neither will this. And he just screams off camera, Micah, bring me the wooden bat. I wrote LMAO because he says the metal one won't pass airport security. So I don't know if he, you know, Bill Watts wasn't really a comedian, right? So I don't know if he intended this for this to be funny or if he was just trying to get a point as rage that he wants to take out the Russians. But I pop, I, I laughed my ass off. Because as he's being angry, he's talking about what's going to make it through the, the airport security so that, you know, he can take these weapons to go take on those Russians. And, and he was probably right. I, I play baseball. I've done a couple fantasy camps and everything. And, yeah, I, I don't think you can take an aluminum bat through security. I've taken a wooden bat, you know. But, yeah, he, he was probably right on that with the aluminum bat. Of course, you know, he's got some tape, pulls out some uh, wrestling tape, tape up those fists. And uh, what's this? A Midnight Rider mask? How'd that get in here? I wrote LMAO again. So a little more comedy. Oh, I, this had funny. to be had to be comedy from the cowboy. What's this doing in here? A Midnight Rider mask in my trunk? So I love this segment. I thought it was great, too. I'm surprised he didn't have a Stagger Lee mask in there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, what, what a throwback that would have been. But uh, Watts coming to take care of business, it would appear, in New Orleans at the Superdome. Going to watch Dr. Death's back and Eddie Gilbert beware. The cowboy is pissed. And you don't want, you don't want an angry cowboy, you know, <laughs> down the road a little bit. He would, the baseball bat, he would say it was his bird clipper because he was going to go after the free birds, you know, and clip their wings with the baseball bat. He, he was a big fan of carrying around a baseball bat. Yeah, he loved to walk tall. That's for sure.
Yes. As we'll, we'll hear here in the, the upcoming weeks uh, repeatedly. Uh, but yeah, man, that's going to do it. I mean, I love that segment. I watched the following week because it's going to be part of our next episode. The next episode, guy, we're gonna, guys, we're going to cover the 24th weekend of May. And then we're going to look uh, in depth at the Houston show, the May 30th Houston show with the UWF heavyweight title tournament, as well as that uh, cage match or that barbed wire cage match, I believe it is, with the Fantastics and Sheep Herders Roman. I'm going to throw some of that up on my YouTube as well for you guys to check out from that Houston program. Quite a fun time. Bill Watts coming out of retirement here to take on. Right now, it's just the Russians, but we know it's going to be more down the line. But fun, fun time. I don't know how many times I can say that as we head into the summer of 86. And and what was great about Watts was, you know, not only could he still go a little bit in the ring, but just his promos, his intensity, his believability. You know, it wasn't like people were like, oh, the old geezer's getting in the ring again. You know, it was like people were clamoring for it, you know, and, and he... He knew to pick his spots. He wasn't coming out to be the world champion and to hang on to the belt for seven years or, you know, like, like you know, some of the criticism you hear about Vern Gagne per right. se. But Watts, Watts would come out in short little bursts, you know, like to go against the Midnight Express in years, years earlier than that. And uh, he, he picked the spots a little bit here, a little bit there, and then he would disappear. And so it was like he knew his role and how to play it. And, uh, you know, kudos to him for that. Yeah, so we've got some big feuds brewing. It looks like Duggan's moving over to Kamala, Bill Watts, Dr. Death. I guess DiBiase going to be associated into that Russians feud to some degree in the short term anyway. Uh, Jack Victory calling out Dark Journey to find herself a man to take him on in the ring. That's coming before too long as well. So lots of things going on here, lots of wheels turning, and a lot more talent on their way into the company as well. Yeah, and the the new... UWF heavyweight champion to be crowned. I mean, that's going to lead to some excitement, some more storylines. And uh, I hate the fact that Duggan had to give it up, but, you know, they, I guess they had their reasons and uh, there was some excitement that came from it. Yeah, we'll even talk about the angle that goes on as part of that uh, heavyweight title tournament in Houston and what led to Duggan's uh, suffering a cracked skull and uh, what he calls the worst injury of his entire wrestling career. So we'll talk about that on the next episode as well, Roman. So lots to unpack next time around, but for this time, well, it's time to wrap it up. So I appreciate you uh, finding some time finally on your off day to uh, join me here once again on Regional Wrestling. Uh, next week, obviously, guys, Christmas time is upon us. Uh, but So Roman, if you have anything you want to say to everyone heading into the holidays, but I do appreciate you well, once again being part of Regional Wrestling. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you. And I wanted to apologize to the fans out there. It was uh, not Ray's doing. I had a just insane work schedule going on. The conventions were picking up. So I did not have the free time to do this. So we weren't like blowing the fans off or, you know, purposely being late in between shows. Things just got real hectic on my end. So I apologize. But whenever I have time, I always enjoy doing this podcast. I just want to say thank you, everybody, for your support. It means a lot. Yeah, and next time around, guys, we're going to close out the month of May. Do not forget. So for now, I guess, you know, it's time to wrap it all up, Roman. Just appreciate you once again. And uh, holidays right around the corner. So uh, looking forward to that. And hopefully, you know, maybe you'll have a little more time off around the holidays. And we can, you know, shoot another uh, show in here fairly soon. Oh, heck, heck yeah. I want to shoot as many as possible and as soon as possible. You know, things are going to lighten up a little bit. Uh, December's normally a little bit slower month for us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I always... Uh, Look forward to the opportunity to shoot uh, shoot the breeze and talk old school wrestling with you. All right, sounds good to me. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up here this week. I want to thank Roman Gomez once more. We'll be back soon with more Mid-South 86. We'll continue on with more Georgia 81 here very soon. And Memphis 85 right around the corner. 
For now, I'm your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-E-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Mm-hmm.